the more people get jobs through JobRack, they are super excited about it and they really really do spread the word so we're, we're getting better at harnessing that on you know places like instagram and, uh, and facebook things like that our kind of ethos and what we're about is helping you hire long-term team members Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mitko Karshovsky, and welcome to episode 118 of That Remote Life podcast, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Noel Andrews, the CEO of JobRack, which specializes in helping American and UK companies find, hire, and work with top talent from Eastern Europe. During this interview, you will learn how Noel's experience during his corporate career helped him discover the treasure trove of talent in Eastern Europe, why that part of the world is such a good source of employees for remote companies, and Noel's top tips on finding, interviewing, and working with people from Eastern Europe. Before we jump into the interview, however, make sure that you subscribe to my YouTube channel, which you can find a link to in the show notes for this episode. I publish every podcast interview there in video form, and I also release original content every Friday about the digital nomad lifestyle, remote work, and online business that you can only find there on YouTube. To subscribe, just click on the link in the show notes or search for my full name, Mitko Karshovsky. Finally, I would love to hear what you think about this podcast. I've made it very easy to leave a review. All you have to do is just head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash TRL and write your review. That's it. It's that easy. If you're enjoying this podcast, leaving a review is one of the best ways to support us. Reviews are still a key statistic that podcasting apps will look at in order to determine how to rank a podcast. So your review will directly help us climb the rank boards and attract new listeners. So thank you so much in advance for leaving a review if you choose to do so. And thank you for joining me over on YouTube. We're quickly growing that channel and I look forward to publishing more content for you guys and interacting more with you in the comments over there. But Without further ado, guys, let's jump into this fantastic conversation with Noel Andrews from JobRack. Noel, welcome to the show, man. It's nice to uh, finally talk with you. Yeah, thanks so much. Really good to be here. I know, man. I am so excited uh, to chat with you because, like I was saying before we hit record, uh, I've seen your name around a lot around what you do with JobRack, and I'm really passionate and very excited about the talent pool that's developing in Eastern Europe as somebody who was born and grew up in Bulgaria myself. And I go back and I see all my friends and everybody else doing amazing things over there and largely being overlooked by the rest of the world. So I'm really excited for what you've been doing. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited to chat with you and, and tell people why they should look at Eastern Europe as a place to hire talent. Yeah, no, definitely. There's, there's lots of good reasons. So I'm looking forward to getting into it. So let's start off first. I'm curious, like, because for me, like I said, I was born in Bulgaria. I know what the talent that exists in Bulgarian and Eastern Europe looks like. But how did you end up 
becoming connected and becoming aware of what was happening over there since if people aren't noticing by the accent, you're British. So how did you become aware of like what was happening in Eastern Europe and why start JobRec? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I'd had a you know 15-year corporate career in kind of corporate IT, um, including up to kind of director-level roles in some pretty large, uh, you know, very large kind of UK businesses. Um, I had an awareness of Eastern Europe because, as much as you know, the last 20, 30 years was all about kind of outs offshoring to you know India and places like that. Certainly from Europe, there was a, a, a big, big push towards nearshoring, as they refer to it. And so, you know, people, big IT suppliers setting up kind of call centers and service centers and operation centers in in Eastern Europe. Um, so I had an awareness from that background. Then I, um, I was looking for a, a business. Uh, I've always been entrepreneurial. Uh, I spent about a year or so building an interview coaching business. So I was kind of always in this kind of hiring team leadership type world. And um, kind of that didn't quite scale as I wanted it to. And I was looking around, I was helping some people in, a, in the community that we're both in. Uh, I was helping them with their hiring and remote hiring needs. And JobRack actually came up for sale. Um, the guys that started it back in 2015, uh, they'd run it as, uh, they'd, you know, they'd done really well with it, but it was still relatively small. They both had bigger projects, bigger main projects going on. And so this was a bit of a side hustle and it was basically going to get sold or shut down. And it was just like literally serendipity, just perfect timing, perfect place. And uh, it came up and four weeks later, it was mine. Uh, it was very rapid. It has a custom tech stack, et cetera. So there was a lot to kind of dig through. And um, yeah, it just kind of, it was the right place at the right time. It fit with my background and it was just this great opportunity to buy a business that was in a really great niche. So, you know, I've always had the advice that if you can, you know, niche down and then niche down again, then, you know, it's just such a, a better way to run a business. And yeah, that was, uh, where are we, three years ago now? And um, yeah, it's been some pretty exciting times and, and lots going on since then. So you actually bought JobRack. You didn't start it. Okay, so that's really interesting because obviously everybody listening to this has likely thought of like the idea of one day selling a business, right? Like the big exit that everybody looks for. Uh, <laughs> tell me what was the experience of buying a business like? Like how did you, like what just kind of like very, as a summary, like what did it look like? What, you know, yeah. would you recommend buying a business to other people? So would I recommend it? Yeah, definitely, without a doubt. Um, I mean, just to kind of put it in perspective, JobRack was very small. And actually, for nearly a year before I bought it, it had been kind of mothballed. So the site was still up. Um, the job posts had been just put to a dollar a job po jo a dollar per job just to stop scammers, basically. Um, so it wasn't making any money. You know, there was but there was a, a bit of a brand there, especially in the community we're in. It had a database. It had the, the custom tech stack and all the platform there. So it, it wasn't a... Uh, it wasn't a big exit for the sellers, that's for sure. But the alternative was they were just going to shut it down. And that would have been a shame because there was there was some good value there. The process was like a great life experience, right? It's like another bucket list item ticked in a sense, you know, buy a business. It's like the entrepreneur's right of passage. Um, it was really quick. So in four weeks from the very first conversation, I went through a process of possibly having two business partners that we were going to do it with. Then that dropped down to one. Then it worked out that actually it made more sense for me to do it on my own. And so that was quite interesting navigating that, uh, negotiating the price, finding a developer to help me do due diligence to just check that it wasn't, you know, riddled with bugs and crazy security flaws, things like that. Um, then agreeing the price, little bit of paperwork, but not much at this kind of level. And then actually doing the transition. So yeah, it was um, four weeks from start to finish before it was, you know, hosted on my servers, uh, on my stack and, um, and up and running. And then, you know, naturally very quickly just moved it away from being $1 per job post and, um, and then kind of went from there.
Gotcha. Yeah, that's very cool. I, I totally agree with you. I think there's this thing that like every entrepreneur who goes into our world has like two goals, so to say, is like one is like sell a business and then the other one is like flip a business, right? Like, I just feel like that is like a very common, like, I would like to do this someday type of thing. Um, but tell me a little bit more. You mentioned earlier that, you know, one of the things that we talk about is like niching down and then niching down again. Can you talk a little bit about why you felt that was important and in what way does job rack do that? How does it niche down twice? So I think, why is it important? It's because about when you're trying to, when you're trying to talk about what it is that you're offering or selling or the benefits that you provide, and also in targeting your customers. So previously, for instance, I ran the interview coaching business that I ran, and I'd started off just offering interview coaching. And in the states, in the US, this is quite a thing. But in the UK, you know, most people are terrified of interviews, but nobody's going out there searching for interview coaching. So in that instance, I then niched down to my speciality, which is IT, uh, and people trying to get IT jobs, and that that helped a lot. The appeal with JobRack was that it wasn't just a job board, okay? And job boards actually since then have been, you know, hugely popular in terms of investments and, and flipping especially. Um, it wasn't just a job board. It was a remote job board. So that was like niche number one. It was specifically for remote workers. And then niche number two is it's specifically for Eastern European remote workers. So I'm not competing with, you know, directly competing with pretty much anyone. There are no other, you know, cr um, job boards that cover all of eastern europe you know there are some for country the specific countries but none of them that cover eastern europe and the you know just the, the huge opportunities that come from this kind of area of the world so that for me was really appealing because it just means that there's there's one story that i can tell in trying to instead of trying to be a you know jack of all trades in a sense and offer people from all over the world just this gives us a, a real focus and, and i really like that because i you know i had already worked with people from eastern europe before and you know everything that i'm sure we're going to come on to in a little while you know, it just gave me kind of huge confidence. I, I was trying to sell something or I am, you know, continuing to offer something that I really believe in. And I've got, you know, tons and tons of evidence and hundreds of testimonials from, you know, super happy people because, you know, the things that we say about Eastern Europe, really hard work ethic, great cultural alignment, really great time zone alignment for pretty much all of the world, you know, um, and, you know, for much of it, lower cost of living than, than our kind of US, Canada, um, Australia, UK, the Western world. So, you know, great opportunities there too. Yeah. And I, I totally agree with you that there are job boards, right? So there's like the remote ones that are like totally remote, something like remote. Okay. For example, which I don't know if you saw this recently, this is like a funny thing that came across my social media feed. Uh, Peter levels, who's the founder of uh, remote. Yeah. Okay. Did you see his billboard that he paid for in Cupertino, California? No, I haven't seen that. What was that? Oh, incredible. This is why I said, this is why Peter levels is the goat because it's this giant billboard in like LA in Cupertino on the way to like, you know, where a lot of like Silicon Valley yeah, people pass yeah, by. Yeah. I think Cupertino's in Silicon Valley. But anyways, it said like Apple employees, you don't need to go back to the office with the like remote okay thing. And I just saw that, that he put it up there and I was like, that's amazing. I love that. Nice. Um, nice. But yeah, like you said, there's a lot of job boards out there, remote okay being one of them. There's a bunch of other ones. And then there are some that I think like one of the most popular locations for outsourcing historically has been the Philippines, right? Like this was reading the four hour work week. Everybody was talking about the Philippine yeah. VAs and that kind of thing. Why you mentioned a few reasons there that you quickly, you know, glossed over in terms of like why Eastern Europe, but can you talk a little bit more about if somebody's listening to this and they're considering hiring somebody from the Philippines or somebody from another country, 
why should Eastern Europe be on their radar and why should they pick an Eastern European um, employee out, you know, instead of somebody like from the Philippines or from India or something like that? Yeah, sure. So first of all, I just want to kind of caveat it slightly by saying that there are amazing people that you can hire remotely or in person from all over the world. Okay. Um, And I've hired from the Philippines myself. Historically, I've worked with people from India and from all over the world. And there are great, great people uh, anywhere. There are some generalizations that tend to get made. And so I get specific feedback and there's particular reasons why a lot of my customers come to me to hire from Eastern Europe um, because of the kind of the experience they've had. So the Philippines specifically and the Philippines is great. And, you know, I'm always really open about this, you know, in terms of recommending sites to check out. So if you're hiring from the Philippines, you know, the first site that most people will go to is onlinejobs.ph. Right. Um, Philippines is very, very low cost. You know, virtual assistants will start from like three dollars an hour. Okay, and you can get some some good people. They're very, very good and known for being very good at kind of following SOPs, you know, repetitive tasks, you know, doing what you need them to do. They're less well known for uh, it's less common for them to be outspoken or kind of direct with you and for you to for them to kind of. I guess if you want people that are going to spot the problems in your process and improve it, that's just less common kind of culture a little, little bit. But again, there are people that can do it. It's just not, a, you know, it's less common. Um, there are also things like infrastructure. Okay. So uh, across the Philippines, you know, sadly and frustratingly, you know, they get hit with typhoons. You know, some areas of the country are quite susceptible to that. So there can be power issues. There can be broadband and internet issues, things like that. Um, and so business owners have come to me having just, you know, lost their team member for like a couple of weeks because, you know, they've been uprooted out of their home or, or things like that. Um, and so, you know, by comparison, Eastern Europe has no extreme weather uh, in that sense. And it has incredible Internet. I mean, my team out in Bosnia have actually got better Internet connections that are cheaper um, than mine, which kind of upsets me sometimes. It's like, hang on, this is crazy. Um, and so, yeah, there's things, things like that that kind of typically get mentioned. Communications a big one. So Eastern Europeans are known, and it's a you know sweeping generalization, but generally, generally true. They're known for being very direct in their communication. And to us slightly softer uh, Westerners, especially people from the US and UK, we're a bit more reserved, maybe. Um, that can be almost like almost a bit of affronting and surprising at first. And then you get used to it and you go, oh my God, this is amazing. You know, they're just they're telling me how it is and they're telling me that I'm wrong because they've got a better way of doing it. Um, and so that is really kind of often refreshing that direct communication style. And and then one of the other things is the uh, is the time zone compatibility. So if you're in the US, for instance, and you've got someone in the Philippines, if you want to have crossover with them, one of you's got to do a night shift, basically. And it's probably not going to be you. You're probably going to make your three to five dollar an hour Filipino VA do it. That's not great for them, right? Especially nobody wants to do night shifts long term. It's not good health wise. So, you know, the compatibility there can be can be tricky, too. Um, so, like I said, there are great people everywhere. But the reasons people come to hire from the Eastern from uh, Eastern Europe, especially through us, is a lot of the time. Yeah, that cultural link, you know, slightly more culturally aligned uh, with the kind of Western countries, uh, definitely around that communication style. And the work ethic is is just outstanding, um, you know, as opposed to we I think in the Western world right now, especially in the UK and the US, there's a real sense of entitlement um, amongst the kind of, you know, people give millennials a hard time. But, you know, sometimes I think they deserve it. Um, and I've got two stepsons that are millennials, so I can say that firsthand. But there's a sense of entitlement that 
it does not exist in people that you know have lived through real hardship right you know countries that 20 years ago 20 25 years ago were in serious war you know that you know we used to see it on the news and things like that so they've just got this uh this work ethic this desire to really work hard and better themselves um and they're seeing these opportunities of working online for businesses like ours and all over the world and you know um it's just a you know kind of match made in heaven um and then the, the final thing is you know the, the the salary costs so the costs of living are still pretty low in much of eastern europe and so that does translate into slightly lower salaries so it's not filipino level but you know whereas a filipino va might start at three dollars an hour in eastern europe that's going to start at five dollars an hour but to an entrepreneur or business owner that's running a you know building a business a difference of a couple of dollars an hour is not going to break the break the bank and that translates through you know we've got some incredible kind of skill sets it's not just about vas it's the same with kind of developers designers project managers all things like that that are all benefiting from this incredible education system in eastern europe you know it's really really common that we'll get people applying for virtual assistant or project manager jobs and they've got not one degree but two degrees and they speak three or four languages and it you know it puts us to shame i mean maybe not you but it definitely puts me to shame i've got a little bit of like pidgin french and pidgin spanish but that's about it so yeah education system makes a big big difference too and that the quality of that tech education makes it you know makes some great great candidates yeah, I think you make an interesting point there on the fact that Eastern European talent, and I mean, just just to throw this one out here for the rest of the episode is that we are going to be speaking in generalizations, right? So for the rest of this episode, just if people that are listening, there are going to be a lot of generalizational kind of things that we say. But I do find that a lot of people in Eastern Europe, like you said, do have a little bit more of like an expertise. And they are definitely, like you said, they're going to tell you what you think or what they think and i think one of the like things looking into the future that i'm concerned about with the filipino outsourcing uh, economy is that i think a lot of the work that have that has been like outsourced to the philippines are things that are going to be far more easily automated in the future and so it's almost like this entire industry that has i mean it's something like the philippines i i'm I think a pretty high percentage of their GDP is from like abroad work. And so I'm very curious, like, and I'm very concerned for them as well as like what happens when a lot of the work that they've been doing and that they've been getting paid for starts to get automated. While I think Eastern European talent is one that is going to stick around a little bit longer because they have a lot more of like a problem solving uh, sort of skill set. What do you, what do you think about that from your position running JobRack? Yeah. So I think we're going to see this monumental shift in the workforce and what work people do. You know, people have talked about like, you know, the industrialization over the last kind of few hundred years. And when kind of work moved, everyone moved from working on farms into factories into cities and we're going to see this monumental shift in in a number of different ways whether it's ai and i mean there's some i don't know if you're up with some of the latest like ai copywriting tools that are coming out. I mean they're almost scary, right? You look at it and you damn that's good and it's like would you put it live on a blog without checking it no but could you can it do a good enough job that you can then check it in a lot of instances yeah so i think anything that's around like you said business process outsourcing the big kind of operations type centers um that yeah automation and personalization and these kind of clever systems are, are going to really kind of ride roughshod over that and so people will have to adapt and evolve i think you know it's certainly not only the philippines you look into the us for instance 
and there's something like 7 million people in the USA that are employed in that servicing, uh, they service the trucking industry, okay, like, you know, uh, truck drivers. So everything from truck drivers to people that are repairing trucks, people that work in the gas stations, in the diners, things like that. Well, you know, Tesla are coming out with their, their semi, right? And we're not there yet on full self-driving and, you know, autonomous driving trucks, but you're basically going to have a truck that's got this massive range and that in a number of years, we're not sure how many, is not going to need a driver. So there's there's swathes of people in every pretty much every country in the world that's going to need either some kind of living wage from the governments or figuring out what that next kind of stage of work is. So, But I do agree. I think the low kind of the people are highly skilled, are kind of have great skills. It's just the work that they're doing isn't necessarily highly skilled. And that's the work that they're, they're currently getting paid for that, you know, is in very much danger of just being kind of automated out. Whereas, like you said, in Eastern Europe, you know, we're typically, you know, we're hiring people to think, right, and to come up with creative solutions and to write an SOP and to actually interact with customers and then think about how do we make this better? So, a good example is one of the biggest skills that I look for in a VA or an EA. I want to know if they can use Zapier or Integromat because that's like the new epic skill, right? If you can automate stuff and automate a process, you are head and shoulders. Um, and I'm a big fan of Zapier and I'm, you know, I'm maybe mid-level on it, but I love it. And so that's, that's a great skill. And I always encourage people to learn those kind of skills because if you can make things better, you're, you know, you're one step ahead. You just said EA and VA. What is EA? Executive assistant? Sorry. Yeah, so executive assistant okay. or virtual assistant. So typically an exec assistant is a term that kind of comes across from the corporate world, although we tend to see it, again, generalization, right? People will refer to it as a VA and sometimes can, you know, um, consider that like a low level role, whereas actually a good virtual assistant can be, you know, almost like a chief of staff type role, mm. right, where they can really help you run the business as, as a CEO or as an owner. Um, an exec assistant is typically just kind of at the next level up in a sense. So you might get a VA that's like an entry level that's you know managing your calendar, managing your emails, doing research tasks for you, doing some bookkeeping, things like that exec assistant is just kind of they're probably a bit more experienced uh, maybe they might do some little bit of project management they might do some content writing all kinds of different things that there's such a huge variety of skill set but yeah they're kind of slightly interchangeable but normally ea exec assistant is a bit is a slightly more senior gotcha yeah i think in terms of like the automation that you talked about i was just reading a study recently that said that something like 40 to 45 percent of Canada's workforce is uh, in you know jeopardy of being automated and up to 60 or 65 percent of the U.S. workforce is doing something that can be automated within the next decade, which it, I mean, I, I 100% agree with you. It's scary. Like, where do you where do you go from that? Where especially in like rural parts of the United States, where the main uh, income source is trucking, right? Like what happens when Tesla comes out with an automatic truck or automatic truck, you know, uh, a self-driving truck that can essentially do the job. So it is, it's going to be a very interesting decade, uh, for sure. But I want to ask you what, is there some sort of like a skill set, um, Oh, like an overall skill set for Eastern Europe that people should look for in terms of hiring? Like, are there specific skills that Eastern European talent tend to be like very, very good at? Or do they, are they like across the board in your opinion, they can handle a lot of things? It's pretty broad. So, you know, one thing I've not done with JobRack is I've not niched down a third time to only offer developers, for instance, or only offer virtual assistants, because it would just be leaving too much kind of opportunity on the table, if I'm honest. Um, 
Eastern Europe was very much known as, you know, a real hotspot for developers, right? That's, that's how JobRack was born originally. It was because of a, a real desire for, and the people that kind of uh, created it at the time and founded it were, they needed developers and they kind of stumbled across this, the fact that the technical education in Eastern Europe is absolutely amazing, is absolutely outstanding. And so that's what it was probably first known for. And then in reality, you then translate that across and you say, well, these people are learning multiple languages. These people have got a really, really great work ethic. Um, they are, they're hungry and they want to kind of better themselves and they want to earn more money and they want to do interesting things. Um, so then you get people in, in all walks of life, everything from, like I said, kind of graphic designers, project managers, um, developers of all different levels and all different types into kind of content writers and and again their level of english is you know astounding um you know we frequently get people that have you know they're english teachers and so you know their english is outstanding we get just think some of the other ones seo is a really big one you know we've got a really significant number of seo agencies that hire their entire teams everything from the low level kind of backlink builders and researchers right the way up to absolute seo tech specialists doing you know audits and all that kind of stuff um and to building their entire business and you know i'm trying to think what else bookkeepers accountants um operations managers you know literally we, we're not we've not found a, a kind of a skill set in an area that we can't kind of get into or can't find the people for um because you know they're kind of no different to you or i ultimately they've got really great education system they've just got a lower cost of living and, and live in a different part of the world yeah, actually, when I was in the agency world, our head SEO guy was from Serbia. So I, I agree with that in terms of, you know, a, a wide range of skill sets. What can somebody who's listening, who's maybe thinking about hiring somebody from Eastern Europe, what can they expect to be paying uh, somebody? You know, like, are there different levels of payment? Like, just kind of like walk us through uh, what somebody can expect in, in terms of that. Yeah. So, so entry level, we always recommend, you know, I tend not to accept job posts onto job, onto job rack with, if the salary is less than $800 a month, we don't, you can, maybe you can just about hire someone for about 700 or 750 US dollars a month for full time, 40 hours a week, but we don't really recommend it. You know, we think 800 is a much better kind of starting salary with $800. You're going to get some good people at that kind of virtual assistant, social media assistant, um, SEO backlink builders, that kind of level. That's a good, that's a really good solid entry level that's not just someone who's just going to kind of do what you tell them they're going to be independently minded they're going to think for themselves make things better um, and want to train and learn and, and develop themselves we then kind of head up from there i'm trying to think through kind of some good examples a kind of an entry level kind of project manager you know will kind of start as you know maybe they've got a year or two years experience maybe around kind of 1600 us dollars a month something like that um, and then we start, you start getting an awful lot for your money now as you start heading up a little bit. So, you know, you start, you hit the 2000 US dollar a month mark and we're into, you know, account managers, really strong customer support managers. Um, you're getting into like kind of SEO technical specialists at this level. And we hired a, you know, an SEO account manager who was technically really, really strong and could be client facing. That was kind of 2K. Um, operations managers, really strong ops managers around kind of 2K, logistics managers, e-commerce and inventory managers. We're doing a lot of those right now for kind of Amazon based businesses. So that you kind of start getting into that kind of level and you're getting, you know, really, really good quality people. Um, so customer support is another good example down at that kind of 800 to a thousand dollar a month. Really, really good English, really friendly and passionate and wanting to do a, a really great job. Developers kind of they're they're a little bit more variable based on the skill set, but again, you know, a junior developer, 
you know, with kind of a year or two's experience, they're probably kind of, what are we at? Kind of maybe 10 to $15 an hour, something like that kind of range. So, you know, around a $1,600 to $2,000. Um, Mid-level developers will typically see it about kind of two and a half to three and a half thousand US a month. And then up to the senior guys, are, you know, four and a half thousand to kind of six thousand US dollars a month, which is still probably well under half what you're going to be paying in New York, San Francisco, or hiring locally in the in the US. Um, and the key difference is, is we can actually find them. Whereas if you're trying to find a really high-end dev in the US, that's, you know, I work with a number of agencies that are really, really struggling. And that's why, you know, they're coming to us. And once they, um, I often say, you know, once you've got one Eastern European hire, you're going to want more because they are just a breath of fresh air and they're awesome. Mm. How does it, so you're saying full-time, right? And I think this is kind of like, we're walking into two questions here, which is like, what is the difference between job rack and things like Upwork? And then also, how does this, like, if, are you hiring, are are people who are coming to hire off of job rack, are they hiring people full-time or are they kind of more project-based sort of work? Yeah. So we, we don't do much project-based stuff. So we're not an Upwork or a Fiverr, for instance. So our kind of ethos and what we're about is helping you hire long-term team members. They don't need to be full-time. They can be part-time and that might be just like five hours a week. It could be really, really low. But the idea is that it's a kind of a longer term commitment. You want them to be part of your team. You're going to treat them like, you know, part of your team and they're going to build up. And they might be five hours for the next 10 years um, or they might build and grow from being part time to to full time. So that's that's the key differentiator for us. We do take some project stuff from time to time um, and we have, you know, clients that are really happy with that and some candidates that are really happy. But we're probably 98 percent of what we do is kind of full time or part time. Um, and like I said, a, a real kind of ver- kind of um, you know variance on that. The key, I guess, kind of one key difference about job rack is that you know we charge very simply just per hire. So you pay us to post your job, or we have some hiring services where we actually do the work for you and we help you hire or we do it for you. But again, you just pay as a single fee. There's no ongoing fees. We're not we're not middlemen. We don't get in the way of the payments. We're not taking 10, 20, 30 percent off you and the job seeker each month. Um, so it's, you know, at that stage, it, over the long term, it's dramatically cheaper. And normally in the short term, it is uh, as well. So that's kind of the key difference. And and that really stacks up. You know, you look at the fees of some of the platforms like Upwork, for example, and it is, you know, really, really hefty. And it's often difficult to see. And so sometimes you start out with a project and then you do another one. And then suddenly you've had the person for a year or two and you realize you've, you've paid Upwork thousands and thousands of dollars in fees. How does this work with like taxes, right? Or how exactly do companies pay people who they hire on job rack? Because I think if somebody's listening to this, one of the benefits of Upwork is that they kind of handle all of that headache, right? So what would it look like if somebody were to hire somebody from Eastern Europe? Like let's say it's an American company, a US company that hires somebody from Eastern Europe for like 30 hours uh, a week. Like what would that look like in terms of taxes? What, like, how does that work? And how do most companies pay their Eastern European Mm -hmm. talent? Yeah, sure. So I'm happy to say it's really, really simple. So it's not possible for a business in the US or a business in the UK. We can't hire um, as a true full employee someone that's in another country. It just it just doesn't work. It's not legally. You can't do it um, for many, many reasons. And so the really simple approach is it's it's just a service agreement. So in the US, it's referred to as a 1099 contractor. So your new team member, let's say they're a virtual assistant, um, they would invoice you at the end of each month. 
Okay, you'd agree their salary, they send you an invoice for let's say it's $800 a month. Um, you pay the invoice typically through transfer wise or Payoneer or whatever you agree. Um, and then that goes into your, your accounts. You've paid $800 for virtual assistant services. Okay, and that's how it's kind of structured. As an extra step, if you're a US uh, registered business, you can do something. I think the form is a W2BEN, W2BEN. And that's a form that the, um, you know, your virtual assistant, I'm going to use that example, they would fill that in for you. It's a one-time thing. You don't have to submit it to the IRS. You just keep it in the event you were ever audited. And they would kind of just wanted to check that you weren't trying to avoid paying contributions and taxes. You just show them that form that clearly shows that your worker lives in Serbia. They have no claim to US residency or US tax. So it's super, super simple. So the service agreement that you'd put in place, very, very simple agreement. It's just about setting expectations. Um, you know, when are they going to work? How much are they going to get paid? When are they going to get paid? And like a confidentiality and like a non-disclosure clause. So really, really simple. And the, the key thing that's really important to mention is that legally they are not your employee. OK, they're a service provider. However, for all other intents and purposes, they're a team member, right? They're working with you. They're in your team meetings. You treat them the same. You try and give them all the same benefits wherever you can. And, you know, they're part of the team. Um, and that is where people really succeed really well is where, you know, they're just part of a team. It doesn't matter that they're in another country. Uh, it makes no difference. So the only difference is just on that kind of that legal side slightly. Gotcha. So you mentioned, um, you know, the fact that you guys don't do anything like a 10%, 20% hiring fee. You said that it's a one-time fee. So what does that, what is that one-time fee? What does it cost to hire somebody on job rack? And then can you also talk a little bit about the process of somebody coming in hiring on job rack? What does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, the first bit, it comes down to figuring out like how you want to hire. And I often talk about like hiring is like climbing a mountain uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because it's hard, right? Ask anyone that's ever hired. If anyone tells you hiring is easy, they're either just the luckiest person in the world and ask them what next week's lottery numbers are or they're lying to you, right? Because hiring is not hard. It's the pretty much the hardest thing that any business owner or, or manager can do. So we kind of offered kind of three routes up the mountain ultimately. So you've got the do it yourself, the DIY route, uh, which is, you know, you post a job, uh, you know, job post on, on the job board. This is effectively where, you know, you've got the rucksack on, you've got the heavy load, you're choosing your own route. So you're choosing how to hire and you do all the hard work yourself. So you'd simply pay us $199 to post your job. Um, we do give you some help. You know, we've got lots of guides and resources and, you know, we're super friendly and super helpful. Um, you know, so we guide people along the way, but you know, ultimately you're doing it yourself. So you write the job post, you decide what you need, choose how much to pay. Uh, you post the job on the site. And we have a, a nice little kind of bit of tech there. It's a bit like a Trello board or a Kanban board that when you start getting applications, uh, you can manage it all within the site and drag and drop people to, to kind of different statuses. So you're going to get applications. We're going to be promoting the job on your behalf. You, the applications are coming in. Some of them are going to be great. Some of them aren't going to be a fit. So you have to filter through them. You've got to read their CVs, their application messages, their answers to whatever you've um, asked them to provide. And then you choose who to go through that process. So, you know, a typical hiring process is you start with your job post. Maybe you get them to fill in an application form. And I always recommend that you do because it massively simplifies the process. Um, you're going to shortlist. You're going to review all of them. And you might get, you know, 50 or 100 applications. And certainly this is well known if you advertise in kind of other areas of the world, like the Philippines, for instance, you can advertise a virtual assistant job and have 300 applications in 24 hours. That's not a good thing. 
nobody wants to review 300 applications and read 300 cvs that's just that's not helpful so you know with the di why route you're kind of doing these things yourself you'll then go into you maybe do a screening interview like a 10 minute quick call just to see if it feels like a fit and then you'll normally test them so come up with some test tasks of how can you make sure that you know they can really can do what they say they can do and that they you know they do it to the quality um, you need so after that you then would typically interview them um, you know, a bit longer, maybe 45 minutes or an hour. And that's just two-way conversation, just understanding, you know, what's their experience? How would they handle the kind of scenarios and the work that, you know, they're going to be doing for you? Um, and what do they want, right? Because that's really important. It's not just about what you want. You've got to match up what do they want from their job and from life? And, you know, can you offer it to them? Because there's no incentive. It's really not a good idea to hire someone just because you want them if they don't want you, because that just won't, won't last and hiring is expensive both from a money and but especially from a time and effort perspective so you want to kind of take the time to, to kind of do it right so that's the kind of the diy approach uh we've that and that's the upfront it's cheap but it depends how you value your time right so uh and that's you know we have people that uh go that route for a couple of different reasons but then we have people that for you know one of three key reasons want help with it either they've hired before and they know it's hard and they don't want to do it themselves. Either they or they haven't hired before and they've just no idea what to do. And they're just like, just just help me with this. Um, or the third option is when they're hiring for a role that just these people are just not hanging out on job boards. So, you know, if you want a kind of an interesting combination. So right now we are hiring for a German speaking content writer from Eastern Europe. We can find those people, but they are not just hanging about on job boards waiting to apply. We have to go and hunt those people out and turn over the rocks and find them. The same if you want a senior developer right now. These guys, guys and girls are in hot demand. They're not hanging out on job boards waiting to apply for your job. We have to go and find them. So <clears throat> there's some roles that we need to go and really kind of dig, um, dig out and find for people. So, and that's where we come into like our hiring services. So at the top end, we have a, a done for you service where we basically do everything. And this is like the helicopter to the top of the mountain, right? You literally, you want to do as little as possible. You explain to us what you want. We'll go out and find it. We'll test them, vet them, reference them. We'll, we'll interview them. And we deliver you like maybe just one or two or two or three, maybe for you to make the final selection from. And that works really well, but it, it's very we don't do a lot of it because one it's you know typically it's around five thousand us dollars for us to do that service and the reason why is because it takes us a lot of time and effort to really understand what the business owner what do they really want so we know what they want the person to do but figuring out the type of personality that's really a good fit is often pretty difficult whereas in reality when they jump on an interview they know within like 12 seconds if they're getting a good feel from this person but explain that's hard um, and so what we then did, we introduced a middle option, which is the done with you option, which is like a, it's like having a mountain guide or a Sherpa. OK, so these guys and we, you know, we take on the heavy load. So we're carrying the rucksack. We're guiding you up the mountain and we're doing all the hard work for you. So we will we'll write the job post. We choose about the how to kind of find these people. We go out and source them, bring them in to apply. 
we define the whole application form, the tests and the Easter eggs that we include just to kind of test them through the process. Um, and then we do all the reviewing and filtering, whether it's you know 50 CVs or 150. We review them all, everything we know about them, and then present a short list of candidates for you to then you know kind of take into interviews. Um, and typically, we'll handle the testing as well. So it's kind of the middle ground that's um, that's working really really well and has proven you know in the last kind of six months since we launched it is really really popular. It's kind of that that kind of sweet spot. Very few business owners want to be doing basically, you know, kind of the grunt work of hiring. They want to crack on and grow their business, but they want to be involved in the interviewing and making sure they get, you know, really, really good people. And what is the price of that middle one? Because you said it was one ninety nine for the low one, about five thousand for the all yep. done for you. So what is the right. price of the middle one? Yeah, so it ranges basically. It starts at fifteen hundred US, and then it's up to twenty five hundred, and that's simply down onto the down to the difficulty of the role. So if it's a virtual assistant, an executive assistant, customer support, um, you know, low to mid level SEO person, it's fifteen hundred dollars. It's flat fee. We guarantee success with it. Um, we've never failed yet, and that's just what we do. You know, we kind of go out there and find these people, and we get great results. Um, if it's kind of more mid-level role, so maybe you're looking for a paid ad specialist, uh, an operations manager, someone like that, that's two thousand dollars, and it just reflects the you know it's more, simply more effort for us to go out and find these people and put them through the process. Um, and they're you know they're a more senior role; they're going to be getting paid significantly more. And then finally, typically up at the top end, you've got the really senior developers or potentially like senior management roles, which is you know we charge two and a half thousand US because again it's just there's a lot fewer of them out there just takes a, a lot more work so we keep it quite simple um and like i said other kind of services do it on like 20 percent or even 30 percent of the annual salary we keep it nice and simple and just you know uh do what we think is fair and, and what works for people so i have a little bit of experience in the marketplace business model and one of the really hard things is that you don't have just one customer you essentially have two customers right like not only do you need to have find people to pay you to then go out and hire people, but you actually need to find the people to come and apply and, and, you know, know your website, not as a place to source work, but as a place to like go and get work. How do you do, like, how have you done that? Where are applicants coming from? How do they find out about you? And if it is one of those higher level positions, how do you go out there and find them? How do you go and search them down? Yeah, so so we have got a raft of approaches, as you'd expect, and it's a continual thing. You know, we're always looking to build our database. Um, we probably we're probably filling about maybe sixty percent of our roles from the database alone. So we've got a really healthy database. Um, and then, but on top of that, we do a lot of promotion, even for just for DIY job posts. So a job gets posted on us. We're then promoting it on all of the social channels. We promote it in a lot of very, very niche Eastern European communities. So we are in hundreds of Eastern Europe focused Facebook groups, you know, Bosnian content writers, for instance, Macedonian e-commerce people, Serbian uh, PPC specialists, all of these kind of things, literally hundreds of them. And we know where to go to kind of find these kind of people. We know where they're hanging out and we're active in their communities we're helping them in all kinds of ways and so they're obviously really keen for us to then kind of share share jobs that get posted there um so we do you know a lot of uh kind of yeah promotional activity in that sense and naturally as part of that it's not just about them coming in to apply for one specific job we encourage them to register on job rack and have a profile on job rack because when a job uh, when an employer or a business 
uh, posts a job on JobRack, they can also browse the profiles and then they can invite people to apply and they can see find good fit. So we're always doing that, always looking to build our database because that's a you know a big part of, of what we do. Um, I've got a job seeker success specialist uh, that's full time um, from Bosnia. And her job is to get more job seekers, uh, simple as that. And so we're doing everything. We're looking at kind of like really big kind of PR type campaigns. We do a lot of content and we do a lot in terms of actually helping, you know, people that haven't discovered remote work and maybe a bit skeptical of it and worried that, will I actually get paid? Is it, is it real? Is it safe? So we're doing a lot to kind of educate people that haven't discovered it yet as well. They've got great full-time jobs in country and we're saying, hey, you know, you can earn more and you can have a more flexible life all of these kind of good things. Um, and then we have a bit of a, you know, secret agent network or a network of kind of secret job rack agents in a sense across Eastern Europe that, you know, are just kind of shouting about Eastern Europe to their friends uh, and people they know. And the more people get jobs through job rack, they are super excited about it and they really, really do spread the word. So we're, we're getting better at harnessing that on, you know, places like Instagram and, uh, and Facebook, things like that. Um, and then finally, you know, in terms of how do we source people, we've got about 32 or 33, I think it is different sourcing approaches that we take based on the role. Again, some of that's going into those kind of, into those kind of Facebook groups and communities. Um, naturally, we use LinkedIn. We use um, kind of we'll pay to come sometimes go onto some very niche job boards. So, you know, sometimes it's great to go onto a Serbian graphic designer focused job board, for instance, you know, to kind of dig into those. Um, and again, we look at it and we have a like a sourcing SOP that when we get a role, we look at it and we say, right, you know, what do we need to do for this role? Where it's a done with you role, you know, where we're doing the work for the employer. And then we just go through that. And it's a, a pretty structured approach. There's a lot of different sources there. It's a lot of work, but that's what that's what gets results. Do you have any tips for people who do end up hiring somebody from Eastern Europe, you know, in terms of like how to work with them, how to communicate these sort of things? What are some of your tips for, for those people who've already hired somebody or are planning on hiring them in order to facilitate a healthy uh, work sort of experience? Yeah, so... First up, before you hire them, you know, be ready to set clear expectations, right? That's really, really important. Be open about money, right? People in the Western world are terrible at this, right? Talk about how you're going to pay them. Talk about how much you're going to pay them. Ask them whether they, you know, for us, you know, I use TransferWise, right? Which is a fantastic tool um, for transferring money and operating kind of bank accounts. And I pay in US dollars, but I can choose which currency they receive. And it makes no difference to me, but it might make a big difference to them in terms of how much they're charged by their bank or the fees and things like that. So be open about things like that. Set really clear expectations and put the effort into communicating what you want. You know, time and time again, again, if I see it, if a business owner gets frustrated with their team, it doesn't matter where in the world their team are, nine times out of 10, it's because the business owner is not putting the effort into communicate what they want. And they, they kind of want them to be psychic. And so until your team learns you kind of learns you and kind of what you like just make sure you're being really clear about what it is that you want and what's important to you and so at job rack we have a ways of working document that's uh, that kind of we all read pretty regularly um, refresh ourselves on all new starters go through it and it's things like when you start work just say hey on slack um, as if you were working walking into an office and you'd be like hey morning everyone i don't really care when it is it might be that they're starting work in the evening but just say hey um, and then we kind of gives us a chance to kind of communicate and catch up things like, um, you know, we use Google Docs extensively. So, you know, we want to be assigning tasks and collaborating in documents, you know, don't email files when you can share a link and just simple things like that. But they just make for, a, for an efficient, efficient way. Um, so, yeah, set clear expectations and invest the time. 
right? When a new person starts with you, if you're in an office with them, you're going to probably take them for lunch. You're going to spend 10, 15 minutes with them every day. And yet sometimes people forget that when it's remote. So it's really, really important to um, just, yeah, make sure you're kind of scheduling good time with them and investing in them. They are part of your team. And if you invest in them and give them the time and opportunity to develop and grow, you're going to, you know, the ROI on it's just huge. I love that. Well, Noel, thank you so much. Uh, we kind of ran out of time very quickly. This, this like breeze through, uh, and it's been really fun talking with you and discussing this because like I mentioned, I, as somebody who is Eastern European, I go back to Bulgaria and I hear the kind of things and then I, and I talk with friends and I see what they're doing. And I'm like, wow, do more American companies need to know about the sort of talent that exists here? Because um, just like you mentioned, you know, you can both pay them way more than a Bulgarian company could, for example. And at the same time, though, you'd be saving money where you'd be paying somebody in the U.S. And so it's almost like a win-win in that uh, scenario. So I highly recommend people check out uh, you know, job rack, check out Eastern European talent, because I think I, I really am very passionate, very excited for everything that's happening over there. But Noel, let people know where can they, you know, find out more about you? Where can they go and learn more about job rack services? Yeah, sure. So if you want to kind of find out about hiring from Eastern Europe, then head to my site, which is jobrack.eu. And, uh, you know, there's tons of information there. Um, and then if you want to kind of connect with me or if you want to have a call or kind of just chat through even any questions, anything like that, then head to connect with Noel. That's N-O-E-L, connectwithnoel.com. And uh, all my details are there. And yeah, I'd love to hear from, uh, love to hear from anyone. Perfect. Well, Noel, thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast, man. I, I really appreciate it. And I've really enjoyed this conversation. Hey, no worries, man. Really good to speak to you. 